Hello, and thank you for being a member of the History of World War II podcast, episode 143, Psychopath or High-Functioning Drug Addict. Last time, in March of 1944, a smoldering fire, left unattended, had led the police of Paris to a townhouse in the western section of the city that contained parts of dismembered bodies. The building's environs at 21 Rue Lesser also contained two lime pits that held the remains of even more bodies. Right away, the building's owner, Dr. Marcel Petiot, became a suspect for Commissioner George Victor Massou, chief of the criminal brigade. As such, information about the good doctor's background was gathered, and it turned out that the man lived by his own peculiar code after a rather hard childhood that was somewhat bereft of love. He stole from friends, had no shame, certainly no remorse after being caught, which mostly seemed to stem from a tense relationship with his father. Marcel's mother died when he was young. Yet Marcel was not stupid. He managed to obtain a doctor's degree and was accounted a good physician, but not an honest one. He would accept what payment his patients could give, but then register them without their knowledge for public service. Hence, he was being paid twice. So it will come as no surprise that Marcel also joined the world of politics. And from what information could be gathered so far, Dr. Petiot was sincere in helping his constituents, but again, also himself, in little ways. But the pattern was there. So far, for Commissioner Massou, Petiot seemed to be a small-time thief, arrogant and lazy. But again, he wasn't stupid. And certainly not on the level of a serial killer. But then came the story of his first serious girlfriend, Louisette de la Vue. They seemed to be, by the talk of the locals, birds of a feather, fun-seeking, adventuresome, but before too long, she disappeared in May of 1926. The excuses Marcel gave of her leaving were flimsy at best, but without talking to her directly or finding her body, what did the local officials have to go on? And more besides, he was a doctor. But then, just months later, the remains of a young lady were found in a wicker basket on the bank of a river that had no head or limbs, and her intestines had been removed. Just like the bodies in Petio's townhouse. For Massou, Marcel went from a serious suspect to the main suspect, and reports were put out to capture the man and his wife, Georgette, but to consider the husband extremely dangerous. Moreover, Massou now had the Germans watching over his shoulder, or at the very least, mildly interested, which was never safe for a Frenchman. Massou had been catching criminals for 20 years now, and though he had apprehended killers before, this felt different. Still, Massou's way of operating would not change. He would find the suspect and question him. Massou was known all over Paris as the master questioner. He would never raise his voice. In fact, he would offer the man or woman a beer or wine and just talk to them. Yet, like a professional gambler, he would retain 
what they said, like a jack that had been played ten minutes ago. And when he found a discrepancy, Masu would move in for the kill, deconstructing the person's words until they became flustered and gave up. He just needed to get Petio into his interrogation room. Then he would see. The question was, what if Marcel passed his test? Then who was killing all these people? The commissioner could only hope that Petio was his man, and that he would make a mistake, one that would land him in police hands. Now that the warrant was out, it was the day after the bodies had been found, Massou had three homicide detectives go to Petio's apartment on the Rue Comantin in another part of Paris, the Opera District, the place to go to get illegal drugs. The five-story building Petio lived in held businesses on the ground floor, but they were closed on that day, and the building's concierge, Raymond Denis, was not to be found. But her daughter was there. She told the detectives that she had seen the doctor and his wife about 9.30 the night before. The men went up to Petio's apartment. They were soon knocking on the door, but no one answered. Incredibly, the door was unlocked. The cops would later learn that Petio, with his own moral code, never locked any of his doors. Well, here, because he reasoned a good thief would find a way to break in, and the doctor did not want to have to pay for repairs. The detectives could have entered, and though they had an arrest warrant and the right to search his townhouse, they did not yet have the necessary papers to search the apartment. And investigator Batou knew that Massou would want to go by the book, certainly in dealing with a prominent person of interest. The men went back down the stairs, but ran into the concierge. Madame Denis said she had seen Dr. Petiot for the last time, around 7 p.m. yesterday evening, leaving on his bike. She went to bed around 9, but confirmed that her daughter told her that she had seen the couple returning from somewhere around 9.30 p.m. The police returned the next morning with the appropriate papers. This was now two days after the fire, and entered the apartment. Right away, they could see that personal belongings were absent, and unlike the townhouse, the apartment was clean and everything was in its place. There were no body parts or weapons. After further searching, the detectives found large amounts of sugar, coffee, alcohol, and chocolate, items that were rare in occupied France. But this made sense to the men. The doctor's patients had to pay somehow, and much of the French currency was going to the Germans in the form of reparations. Still, it was a treasure trove. They also found a mound of drugs, prescription drugs and narcotics, which included peyote, a hallucinogenic drug used by many in the Parisian nightclubs. But the big surprise was 504 vials of morphine, worth a fortune on their own. Again, Marcel was a doctor, but was he also an addict? Was his wife, Georgette? Could an addict pull off these numerous, gruesome killings? Only more questions. Further questioning of the doctor's patients and looking through his records in his apartment, 
The police put together a more complete picture of this Marcel Petiot, the man and the doctor that lived by his own rules, that seemed to center around him making money. A long list of patients was found, of whom the doctor sold drugs to, because, quote, it was the only known cure, unquote, according to Petio. Now, this seemed counterintuitive to the police, but hey, they were not doctors. And besides, as Petio himself told other policemen a few years ago, when he was possibly being arraigned for that very act, if he did not sell it to them, they would, as addicts, go out and steal and maybe even kill to get the money or drugs. Again, it was that Petio moral code that allowed him with absolute conviction to say this while looking straight into the detective's eyes. But we are getting ahead of ourselves in this current flashback. Petio was suspected of selling drugs on a massive scale for the last two years, since 1942. In fact, the Brigade Mondain's job was to focus on crimes related to drug selling, prostitution, and pornography. But what Massou's detectives would find out in 1944 was that Marcel, in a brilliant move, kept tabs on the Brigade and those they arrested. Hence, he could find future customers, as well as people to do dirty little jobs for him that could then not go to the police. One such customer was a 40-year-old one coal deliverer named Jean-Marc Van Beve. He met a prostitute, Jeanette Gall, and she decided to give up her night job, and they would try to find happiness together. Yet Jeanette also used drugs to forget the bad times, as did Jean-Marc, but he later gave them up. But the addicted Jeanette would use his name to get more prescription drugs for her own habit. One of the doctors, who it seems did not care that she was seeing several other doctors, was one Dr. Petio. But by February of 1942, the games Jeanette was playing, as were so many addicts, was discovered by the police. Jeanette and Jean-Marc were taken in for questioning, and soon... Dr. Petiot's name was in the mix. The doctor was brought in, but was smooth and easy with his answers. Still, his worldview was not the same as the French law system. All three were soon brought up on charges. The trial would be in May of 1942. But by then, like Marcel's first serious girlfriend, Louisette, who had become a pain in his side, Jean-Marc would have disappeared. Jean-Marc was last seen on March 22, 1942, as he had been talking to a co-worker. This fellow cold liver, an Italian, later told the police that Jean had been called away by a man with dark hair in his late 40s. Jean-Marc did not come back that day or the next morning for work, or ever. And he had left his tobacco behind, something Jean-Marc was not known to do. When he had vanished, Dr. Petio was not the prime suspect. Why? Around that same time, Jean had been visiting another prostitute. All's fair in love and war, but her family found out about it. 
One day before the trial was announced, this young lady's family had physically assaulted Jean-Marc, even stabbing him. So now that he could not be found, that family was suspected of foul play. And yet, within days of Jean disappearing, suddenly there was a letter from him. Two letters, in fact. One stated that the lawyer for Jeanine, his current living girlfriend, was no longer needed, as if Jean found spending a penny physically painful, and the other letter confessed to being an addict, which he wasn't, hadn't been for years. Further, the second letter went on to great lengths to state the innocence of Dr. Petio. Strange letters indeed. The trial was still pending. The police continued to search for Jean-Marc, and as his letter stated that he was an addict, the appropriate places were searched nightly. But the man was not found. When the trial came, Jean-Marc was found guilty in absentia and given a year in jail. But as the months went by, the verdict seemed to be the least of his concerns. Jeanette was fined 2,400 francs and given six months in prison, but she would be released in three for time served. Having no pimp or boyfriend, she returned to the streets and to her drugs, but would die three months later from a dirty hypodermic needle. She had also started seeing Dr. Petiot again for prescriptions. As for the good doctor, he was fined 10,000 francs, which his lawyer got reduced to 2,400 francs. No, Dr. Marcel Petiot hated wasting money. Petiot had just barely survived having his career and life ruined. It was a good thing that Jean-Marc disappeared. Maybe he ran away to the free zone. One could hardly blame him. The same excuse would be said of another person that disappeared, one Régine Boudet, and her disappearance also benefited Marcel. A few months before the trial just mentioned, Dr. Petio was called in again by the police for questioning. It seems that one of his other patients, the 28-year-old Régine Boudet, had taken his prescription for a sleeping pill, and tried to replace the words with 14 vials of heroin. As she had done a bad job of this, she was soon on drug charges, which led to Dr. Petiot being called in. Again, the doctor arrogantly proclaimed that he was trying to help her move away from heroin by giving her a sleeping pill, only after previously giving her the ability to get heroin from a pharmacist. Either way, Marcel seemed innocent enough of Régine's troubles. But it is what he did next that would capture Commissioner Massou's interests as he read through this report. After being questioned by the police, Dr. Petiot went to Régine's parents' house. The doctor sternly lectured the parents about letting their daughter get to such a state. But then he calmed down and offered to help in a most unusual way. First, she needed a good lawyer, and Marcel even offered to pay the fees. It was a godsend to the family. But then came the other shoe. Dr. Petio said, even with a good lawyer, your daughter will probably go to jail 
for a long time, as this was at least her third arrest for drugs. But if the mother, Martha Antoinette, told the police that the latest drug prescriptions were for her, the police may go easy on Regine. In fact, he would inject her himself in the thigh several times, but not with drugs, just to make the story look more true. Martha Antoinette's husband, David, a Jewish tailor, and their son, Fernand, strongly objected to this insane proposal. Yet the mother, after trying to look after her daughter for years, slowly agreed. After all, the doctor's heart had to be in the right place. He was paying for the attorney, after all. Six injections were made, and then the good doctor left. But two days later, Martha came to her senses. Yes, her daughter was in trouble, but the doctor's plan risked the entire family, a Jewish family, no less. So, on March 25th, just three days after Jean-Marc, the coal deliverer, had disappeared, Martha told her family that she was going to see Dr. Petio and tell him that the plan was off, and then she was going to her daughter's lawyer. Why? She did not say. But that was the last time any of her family saw her. And yet, by the next morning, two letters had been slipped under the front door of their home. The one addressed to David, her husband, said, Do not worry about me and do not go to the police. It is better for our daughter if the police believe that I am the drug addict. I am going to escape to the free zone. You can come and join me. Later, our daughter can join us. Yet the two males of the house had to be asking themselves, what good would it do for the wife and mother to take the rap for Regine if she ran away now? Also, in this goodbye letter, Martha also admitted to having been taking drugs for years, which she clearly did not. Two other letters, supposedly from Martha, were also left with Regine's lawyers. These letters, one for the lawyer, one for Regine, made the same false confessions, but at least for the lawyer, three 100-franc notes were included. However, these letters were not slid under a door. They were delivered by Martha herself, or were they? The maid who received them said the lady who handed them to her looked like Martha, but she could not be certain if it was the desperate mother herself. Two months went by, and the family still did not hear from Martha. David, being Jewish, stayed away from the police, but his son, Fernand, was angry enough to push forward. Soon, all parties involved were being questioned by the local officials. Dr. Petio denied everything, even setting up the escape route for Martha, though that is what he had told the family he would do. As for Regine, she was found guilty in July. Again, the doctor's word was taken over the drug addicts. True, Dr. Petio was fined, but again, his lawyer, obviously worth every penny, was able to get the amount more than cut in half. But getting back to March of 1944, just days after the bodies were found at Dr. Petio's townhouse, 
The French press dove deeply into the details. What's more, as newspapers do the world over, took what information they had and extrapolated other possible details and motivations. At the bottom of all these killings were sex and control. That sold the newspapers. That Petiot probably wore a mask during the victim's last hours. The German news agency, the official DNB, was a bit more restrained at first, but then itself dove into the details. It could be argued that, for the Germans, this grim story was something they could use. Obviously, it was better for the occupiers to have fewer people on the streets at night. The crowds gave the Maquis, the resistance fighters, some cover. But now the officials could say it was best for everyone to stay indoors at night. One never knew where Dr. Petiot would strike next, nor who his next victim would be. And though it took a little time, the doctor's good wife, Georgette, started showing up in the articles. Was she ignorant of her husband's doing, the good wife, staying at home, maintaining the hearth for her hard-working husband? Or was she deeply involved, also enjoying the power, the ability to inflict pain, and gaining financially from her husband's wicked ways as the victim's belongings now became theirs. Thus, lying before Commissioner Massou was much information, maybe too much, or at least not the right kind. How exactly did the victims die? There was no evidence of physical blows to the bodies. So perhaps there was deadly injections. And, as the Germans had ordered the doctor's arrest, but there their interest seemed to stop, did that mean Marcel was not a member of the resistance? For surely if he was, the Germans would have probably taken over the case, which for Massou was to the good. The last thing he needed was to go up against the resistance or the Germans. Still, what mattered most was finding Marcel Petiot to ascertain if he was the serial killer. Yet all the information the police had, up to this point, was about the killings and Petio's dubious character, which did not help in locating him. No, Massou needed to widen his view of the events, which could lead to more clues, or better yet, more people to question. So, being the no-nonsense cop he was, Massou stuck to the basics. One the forwarding address left on the front door of the townhouse, 18 Rue des Lombards, Ousser, about 100 miles southeast of Paris, would have to be investigated. Next, where did the killer, probably Petio, get all that lime from? He wasn't bringing it to the townhouse himself. Impossible. So, someone knew something. That person had to be found as well. Further still, was the killer working alone? There were a lot of bodies that were probably tortured on some level, then killed, then cut up. Again, a lot of work for one man. Either way, Massou knew what came next. He would go to Usair and see who lived at the forwarding address, 
find out what they knew, and then go from there. As Marceau settled back into the police car on that morning of March 13th, he knew it would be too much to hope to knock on the door in Usair and have the good doctor himself, Petio, open it up and say, We? Hello, everyone from Central Virginia. So, I'm sorry for the rain in the background. It's been raining here for a while, and this is the quietest place in the house that's not that quiet, so I apologize for that. But maybe it added a little atmosphere, uh, considering the subject matter. I don't know. I'll let you know. Don't forget to listen to the last episode, because at the very end, we are having another giveaway for the Monopoly World War II game. Um, The person who won it before never claimed it, so we're giving it away again, and I'm just doing it for you members, not the regular listeners, uh, to thank you for your patience. Uh, Another episode will be coming out this, another membership episode will be coming out this weekend, and um, during this episode, if I said Jean-Luc, instead of Jean-Marc, because I'm a Star Trek fan. I apologize, but either way, it's the cold deliverer who disappears. So, again, uh, thank you for supporting the show, and I will see you this weekend with the next member episode. Take care, everyone.